Hi, everyone. This is Flora Boley, and you are listening to the Inspiration Place podcast with Miriam Schulman. This episode is sponsored by the Six Figure Artist, an art business coaching division of the Inspiration Place. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. A lot of people, when they hear artists, they think of the starving artist. And I want you to know that I've gone on to create a six-figure career as an artist. Hi there, I'm Miriam Shulman. I'm an artist and I'm the host of the Inspiration Place podcast. My specialty is helping other artists take their talent and create a thriving business out of it with practical strategies that go beyond the inspiration shared here on this podcast. If you want to profit from your passion or you want a clear strategy to ramp up your existing creative business, but you're spinning and don't know where to start, I can help you. To schedule a free discovery call, sign up at shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z. Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 36 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so thrilled that you're here. Today, we're going to be talking all about the conundrum of encouraging originality while teaching art. On the one hand, you want your students to come up with their own ideas, but on the other, when students are brand new, they often lack the skills to do so. As an online art teacher, I struggle with this paradox a lot. I want to give my students the skills they need, but without copying me as a crutch. This is often a very difficult balancing act. To help me talk about this topic, I've invited another art teacher who is working in a very different medium than I am. But before her bringer on, I wanted to share with you today's freebie. Since my guests and I are all about encouraging your creativity and creative confidence, I put together a PDF called 10 Creativity Challenges for an Inspirational Day. To get your hands on it, all you have to do is go to shulmanart.com forward slash 36. All right, now back to the show. Today's guest is an abstract painter, creative pioneer, and author of two top-selling books, Brave Intuitive Painting and Creative Revolution. I own them both, and they're fantastic. (laughs) Blending over 20 years of professional painting experience with her background as a yoga instructor, she believes creative expression is a crucial part of holistic well-being. Her intuitive approach to the creative process has inspired thousands of people to courageously pick up a paintbrush, often for the first time. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, Flora Boley. Hey, Flora, welcome to the show. Hey, Miriam. Thanks for having me. So I actually went to one of your in-person retreats in New Mexico. I think it was two years ago and you co-taught it with, was it Svita? Is her name? Yeah. Yeah, it was fabulous. I loved it. And that I still have my mandala here, which I, I mean, the mandala is inside. It's an art journal thing. So cool. Yeah. So it's right here. So 
real excited to have you on. I love introducing my audience to cool and exciting people like you. Like I said, we're going to talk all about how to balance encouraging your students to come up with their own ideas while they're looking to you as a mentor. Yeah, I'm super happy to have this conversation. It's one that is very important, I think, and also one that can be kind of confusing to people just to know what's okay and what's not okay. So I think it's great. I I love thinking of more artists having this conversation out loud. I think it's a great topic to explore. When we're teaching, and a lot of times, I know you do this too, that you think you're teaching the process and then you look around the room It's like, whoa, I think I taught that a little bit too well. It looks just like my painting. How do you feel when that happens? Well, yeah, I I definitely start my courses by talking about the difference between an approach or like you called it a process versus a style which is to me more like what it actually looks like. And so I really try to, I really do sort of set the stage with, you know, what we're learning here is an approach and not a style. At the same time, I understand what it is to be a beginner of anything. Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, like I'm learning the, the ukulele right now and it's, I'm just following just note by note, right? Because I'm so far away from being able to just pick it up and like make something original happen. And so I get that. And so to answer your question, I expect it to happen on some level. I also have over the years incorporated a lot more content and language into my teaching around how to eventually move away from that. So it's something that I'm talking about right in the beginning so that even if people are in that more copying place, they understand that that's just where they're starting. I talk quite a bit about once you leave the workshop environment or once you finish the online course, then what? What's okay in terms of sharing or selling or even teaching in some situations? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had a student actually, I don't know why I was on her mailing list, but she actually named her course the same as my course. I was like, hey, oh, that's not cool. You're, oh, you're creative. Yeah. Can't you come up with your own name? Well, and that's just the thing that I think as creativity teachers, which is what we are, and for people doing painting, whatever they're doing, which is a creative practice, it's so important to have it be original, you know, yeah. and have it be authentic. And I think, you know, you and I both know that the most exciting feeling artwork that we make is the stuff that we know that's really original. Yes. And so I always feel like my students are really missing out if they never get to that point. Mm. And so I try to come at it from a place of not being so overly, you know, I don't want you to copy me, but more, I want you to have this experience. I want you to feel what it feels like when you're in a creative process and you're so in your flow that it is just all your own, you know, versus kind of looking back and forth between something that I saw that inspired me and now I'm trying to recreate that or something like that. And make no mistake that emulating other artists, even copying other artists, is something that artists have done for centuries. Yep. The Impressionists, they went to formal art school and they were taught to copy masters and copy Rembrandt and Michelangelo. But when we go to the museum to look at Degas' work, it doesn't look like Rembrandt's anymore. 
Thank God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> right? So I don't want anyone out there who is still in that phase where they're building their skills to feel badly that they're in that phase. And that is the tricky balance as an art teacher is you don't want to shut down people who feel that they can't enjoy the creative process just because they haven't reached that place yet where they're coming up with their own ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the ways I talk about this to folks is that I use sort of a a food metaphor and I, I say, okay, just think of all of the different things that I'm teaching you over the course of this workshop these are the ingredients to the process. So we talk about mark making, we talk about color, value, imagery, layering, translucence, like all of the different pieces that make up a painting. Mm. And then I break it into those pieces because you, you have to be able to learn them separately. It's too overwhelming if I just try to be like, here, just do all this, you know? So right. I'm, I'm really trying to, to break it down. And then what I say is that you know, eventually, just like with cooking, once you kind of are familiar with the ingredients, you don't need a recipe there all the time. You can just kind of put things together and play in new ways. And so it's like, that's where we're heading. There's just real distinction for me around, maybe we can just talk about like what feels okay and what doesn't feel okay, because Mm. I think that's where a lot of the confusion comes in. But I honestly don't feel like it should be that confusing. And I, I feel like I can at least from my perspective, break it down in a pretty simple way. And that is, you know, like we were just saying, it is okay to be inspired by and to borrow, if you will, and to learn in that way, Yes. right? But even then, I think when people are, say, posting their images of that work, because, you know, that happens all the time, even if you're learning or still posting and sharing, it's like what's appropriate in that case is to credit your teacher, credit your inspiration, make sure that they're honored in that moment. And then really the line in the sand for me comes when you're moving into a place of making money off of it, you know, and when that happens, if that happens, that's when that work needs to be yours. This is one thing I've said to people. I've said, if you're wondering, well, first of all, if you're wondering if it's yours or not, it probably isn't to me. Right. Right. And also ask yourself, how would you feel if you put this show up, say at a coffee shop or something, and you had your price tags and you're you're moving into that professional place? How would you feel if, say they're one of my students, if I walked in the room? If I mm. walked into that coffee shop and saw your show, would you feel just great that you you know that your work is has evolved and is different enough that it would feel good? Or would you be like, ooh, kind of cringing because I would see what's happening here. You know, it's like, that's kind of a good little thing to just play in your mind and feel how it feels in your body. I like that. I had this exact conversation today in my membership. Somebody asked me, oh, I saw this art in Barnes and Noble and was like trying to figure out like where the boundaries are of what she can do. And I said, well, first of all, you can't copyright an idea. So if I have an idea to paint a giraffe, you have an idea to paint a lotus flower, anybody can say, okay, that's a great idea. I want to do it too. So that we can't. But then we get into gray area when it's a style. They're copying your style of a lotus flower, my style of a giraffe or et cetera. I said, well, here's how I would see it. If you were to copy Van Gogh's irises, okay, something that everybody knows who it is and what was done, and you were to post that on social media, you would say, this is the painting I did after copying Van Gogh. You wouldn't pretend that this was your idea. 
and this was your original work. And then the same thing needs to apply then to somebody who's a less less famous than Van Gogh, like you and I. And you would never have that, like you said, with the coffee shop, have a show where you have, here's your copy of Van Gogh's irises, here's your copy of the sunflowers, and here's, oh, by the way, here's Monet's haystacks. Because that's the (laughs) other thing I see is that people who copy you are copying other people. Like you go and look at their stuff and it's like, there's a Flora, there's a Mindy Lacefield, there's a Miriam Shulman. Obviously, it's not okay if someone just took your whole piece and like replicated it. I think that's pretty clear to everyone that that's not okay. I think that the gray area comes when you're just using a lot of derivative elements of whoever it is that you're inspired by. And so, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if I'm able to look at somebody's art and say, okay, they took a class of flora, then clearly it's not really their voice is the way we should. It's like, yes, you created a brand new piece that's not a copy of Flora's per se, but it's still not your voice. You're using someone else's voice. Exactly. Yeah. Even if you're coming up with a new composition, moving the parts around. Exactly. Like with slightly different color, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, that's where I always just encourage people to really spend the energy that is necessary to find inspiration from many, many sources. And many of those sources need to be not other people's art. Like, I think it's fine to be inspired by other people's art. That's something that also we've been doing forever, like you mentioned. So, you know, find inspiration there, but then also go out and take walks and read books and have conversations and have meditation time. And like, using all of these different ways in to inspiration to really source from lots of different places. And then when you come together or when you bring it all together and you're creating, then it's, you know, okay, there might be an element of mine here and an element of somewhere else. But, you know, when you're bringing it together and it's going to feel like something new and that's really the goal. And one thing that I talk about a lot too is just the need to do a lot of work. You know, I think Mm. we live in a time when things happen really quickly and there's not a lot of delayed gratification. You know, it's like so much is so instant right now. And so I think when people are coming and maybe they're new to painting, they are really wanting to get it and they're wanting it to work and they're wanting it to be all these things right away. And what they don't realize is that, you know, just again, like if you picked up a a ukulele for this first time, Mm. it's going to take hundreds of hours before it starts to even resemble something that might feel original or, or even, you know, quote unquote, like good. (laughs) And so, you know, that's where like this course that, that I'm creating right now, that's all about finding your own style. The premise of the whole course is that we're inviting everybody to paint 100 small paintings. Hmm. And the idea behind it is that it comes from an art teacher of mine in college a long time ago where we walked in, it was my very first painting class. And he said, well, we all have a thousand bad paintings in us. Let's get going. <laughs> that was like the first right. thing out of his mouth. Right. And, and it really stuck with me because it just, it was a little gruff at the moment. It was about this idea of you have to do the work. You're not just going to be a good painter. You yeah. just you have to put it. I always take that idea of a thousand paintings and sort of shrink it down to something that feels maybe a little more doable. So I've been saying this to my students forever, like especially when they're stuck and they're feeling frustrated. I just say, imagine for a moment, a hundred paintings from now. 
like just imagine in your body how much you would know by then. You know, it's like you are just where you are because you're new to it still. And so the 100 paintings we've been doing, I'm co-teaching this class with my friend Lindsay Links, and we've been doing the 100 paintings, you know, yeah. as part of the experience. And we're having breakthroughs left and right because right. we're working on paper. First of all, I usually work on big canvases, which is a whole different animal, you know? And so we're working on small watercolor paper, about eight by eight inch. It just feels very, very playful. And that's another thing that I think is incredibly important. Yeah. This reminds me of something I like to say to my students, which is you have to be willing to be, so I teach watercolor and mixed media. So, and watercolor for many is, challenging when they first start. But I always say you have to be willing to be a bad watercolor artist first before you get to be a good watercolor artist. So that's like what, you know, with the hundred hours, it's kind of like the Malcolm Gladwell, the 10,000 hours, the hundred paintings, a thousand paintings. But the other thing that you're saying that's very interesting is that you don't really arrive and then you get to quit and only do something once in a while. Because being an artist is no different than being an athlete or a musician where you have to practice. Yeah, absolutely. Again, because I think people just are often so uncomfortable with not being good at something. Yes. You know, like there's a lot of perfectionism in the world yes. that it's important to remind people that just like anything else, this is also something that takes time, yeah. you know, and, and especially, I don't know, my, my process is very intuitive. And so it's very much like improvisation in a lot of ways. Like we don't go in having a plan. That's a big part of my process is that mm. there's no plan going in. It's the painting evolves and emerges in a very organic, spontaneous way through the layering process. And so knowing that you don't have a plan, I think it's another challenge for people that they have to really let go of, you know, control. You're asking them to take a lot of risks. Exactly. And that's why so many students, it's very scary to have to learn a new technique and come up with an original idea when they look around the room and it's so much easier for them to not take that risk and to just see what's working that other people are doing. But all original art is a big risk that you have to experiment and you have to be willing to fail to see what works and what you like and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be ugly and it's going to be messy and it's going to be awkward. And, you know, I call it the awkward teenager phase that every painting goes through where it doesn't really know who it wants to be when it grows up. Yeah, right. (laughs) Just kind of like, oh, it's so awkward right now. But to me, you know, I'm always allowing the creative process to be a metaphor for living because there's so many moments in life that are messy and awkward too. And so I think through the painting process, it gives us an opportunity to practice being okay in that space because it's, I'm always saying it's just paint, you know, it's just paint. It's not that big of a deal, you know? And so what it is, is that it gives us a place to practice all these ways of being. We practice being intuitive and practice trusting our own impulses. We practice letting go when things aren't working Mm. or when you need to change directions, you know, all of this stuff 
is exactly life, you know? And so to me, that's just always something I'm really interested in is how, how the creative practice can be a place to sort of work on things that we're wanting to invite more of in our life. Completely. I mean, I absolutely see it with my students that people who are very tense and uptight, it shows in their work. Yeah. And especially with, I don't know if you see it as much with the type of art that you do, but I do more realistic art. So the people who are very uptight, they do very tight, realistic painting. And it's interesting how, like you said, that the creative process of learning to loosen up, how that helps them loosen up in life. It's like, it goes hand in hand. Yeah. I had somebody say once they were, <laughs> they were telling me how they were telling a friend about my course and they, they were like, yeah, she teaches perfectionists how to let go. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I definitely do love to get people in here that are really comfortable with control, but who want to work on that. Like people who see that it would benefit them to maybe soften the edges a little bit. And I have so many different ways that I invite people into that that are fun, you know, and not to say it's all fun and that people never get frustrated, but I just over the years have developed a lot of curriculum around, okay, like let's try closing our eyes. Let's paint with our other hand. Let's paint with sticks. Let's turn it upside down. Let's collaborate on other people's canvases. Like I have just a, a wealth of, of ways to get people into that space of letting go. Because again, circling back to our topic here, I really think when we do let go and let things happen without as much of our stamp of control, that they have more energy, life, authenticity, all of those things to them. And so the work becomes more and more original in that way. That's fantastic. Now, do you still sell your fine art? Are you in a gallery? How do you market your original artwork? You know, it's funny. I'm like sitting here in my studio and they're just stacked around me because I don't put as much energy into that anymore. Since I started teaching, which was about eight years ago, my whole business has really focused more on, on teaching. But I still am a painter and I still paint. I pulled out of galleries a couple of years ago just because I was, oh, lots of reasons. I just, most people were finding me online and I was sending them to the galleries and then the galleries were taking half. And so I was like, well, that doesn't really make sense anymore. So I'm nodding my head because I have the same experience. Yeah. I've, I've been teaching six years online and it's not that I don't sell my art, but I'm choosing a lane. I'm really enjoying this lane that I'm in. And I had the same experience with galleries is like they would sell art when I would be nurturing the people. And it's like, okay, so what's the point of this? Yeah. <laughs> right. I can, yeah. I can do that. So yeah, I hear yeah, you. There's just so many more ways to sell art these days than, than galleries, which is empowering and nice for the artists. So yeah, I, d I tend to just sell out of my studio and then I have my work around at a lot of my friends' businesses here in Portland. You know, I've, done all kinds of murals and different things for people I know. And so, yeah, I just, I have it out there, but it's not the, the focus. I probably should focus on it a little more <laughs> just because I don't have the space to hold them all. But yeah. I always find that having a show forces me to think about my art in a different way, which... Well. Do you know what I mean? Like you, it forces you to put together like the collection and to write about it and think about it and organize it. And that's really the point of yeah. having the art show. 
yes, you sell art, but really the point of it is to have a body of work that you can think about in a cohesive way. Yes, I agree. Shows are great for that. Yeah. You moved your studio to your home. How's that transition been? Yeah, I ended up building a studio in my backyard specifically for the purpose of holding my retreats here. And it's dreamy. I love it. I just can wander back in my slippers and, you know, having it, not having to get in the car and drive across town has definitely helped me to paint more. Having the workshops here just feels really lovely. I can create the environment just how I want it for the people coming. How many times a year do you teach at your studio there? In Portland, I'm doing about six or seven five-day retreats per year. So that's like every other month, basically. Yeah, except that I kind of do them all during the nice months in Portland. So we start like April through September, more like once or twice a month. And then in the winter, I like to travel and do retreats in warmer places. (laughs) So I just got back from Bali in February. I think that would take me like three days to get there from New York. Yeah, it takes me like three days to get there. It's it's a journey. Okay, so it would take four (laughs) days. Yeah. (laughs) But that's part of the fun. And then I read that you are doing some sort of giving back program where your retreat is. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So the retreat I just did in Bali is called the Art of Aliveness. So it was an experiment in a different kind of retreat where the focus was not just on painting. We painted a little bit, but you know, it's interesting. I'm just in a place in my life where I'm, I'm interested in so many different things and painting is absolutely one of them, but I've been teaching painting and painting so much for so many years that I'm, I'm just starting to move into new territory where I'm, what I'm really interested in is how human beings can feel more alive. And to me, one of those vehicles in is through the creativity. In this retreat, we explored a lot of different paths. We did a lot of movement. We did these kind of cultural immersions, physical adventures, and creativity. And then one element was a give back element where we actually took the painting process and went into, in this case, it was a a women's center. And we went together with the women and painted all these signs that they needed painted in, in this beautiful, colorful style. And then I also stayed after the retreat and did a mural project with about 30 kids at an orphanage. So tell me about this women's center. So who is who lives at this women's center? Are these women who are domestically abused? Specifically, it's for women who, ha- they don't live there, but they all live near there. And so it's kind of, it's like a job training center. Oh, okay. Um, and just a community because it's women who've been ousted from their villages because either they had kids with special needs, they got divorced, or they're gay. Those are like the three big ones. And so in Bali, those are all reasons to sort of be excommunicated from your village, which is, you know, really hard, of course. And so one woman, a real visionary, started this place for them to all be able to be together and to learn skills. So they have a catering training and they have a beauty salon training and they build bamboo bikes and they do gardening and all these different projects and the kids are there and the women are there. It was amazing. It was such a cool cool place. And it was great to find a way where our women in the retreat could plug in in a way that felt really meaningful and useful, you know, and not just in a like saviorism kind of way, like, I'm, we're going to come in and help you. But just in a way that was like, oh, we have an abundance of, of love to give. And we have these art skills and you need signs and you need 
you know, people to really just listen and hear your stories and share your story. So it was, it was a beautiful coming together and it really, yeah, it inspired me to do more of that. That's wonderful. To bring the conversation full circle, one of the reasons that human beings are wired not to take risks is because of that tribal of of not wanting to get kicked out of the tribe. So you don't want to be different. You want to belong. You don't want to take risks. You want to stay safe. You want to be like everyone else. So artists are a very unusual breed who are these radical, I mean, that's why we're always the first ones to be killed during a revolution is like, we're the ones who are coming out there and we're different and we're different than the tribe. And we're telling everyone, Hey, come along and be different with us. So when you're a creative person, you are putting a stake in the ground that you're going to be different than everyone else. Yeah. We're disrupting, (laughs) disrupting all the things. Exactly. So this was so inspiring, Flora. Do you have any last words for our listeners before I call this podcast complete? Keep doing the work, you know, work slash play and not to feel discouraged if you are in that place where your work is highly derivative of someone else's work, but just to start to, you know, start to reach out and take those risks and find lots of other sources of inspiration and then it's just so much more interesting when you can like back to the cookie metaphor when you can cook with new ingredients you know so just to always stay in that place of of reaching towards new things that can be folded into your work in in really exciting ways that's beautiful so if people want to sign up for that course you were talking about with Lindsay Ling when does that begin yeah we're launching at the end of April and it's going to be called fresh paint honestly I'm more excited about this course than I have been about any of my other courses because I do think this topic is really important and I and her and I have come up with so many different ways to bring people down a path that does feel like their own. So I'm just really excited to share it with everybody. That's great. I'm going to definitely put a link to that in the show notes with shulmanart.com forward slash 36. We'll have a link to all of your social media accounts and Flora's website. So thank you so much for joining me today, Flora. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, we've included links to Flora's online classes in the show notes in case you want to check them out. And while you're there, don't forget, you can grab today's freebie, 10 Creativity Challenges for an Inspirational Day. You just have to enter your name and email and I'll send that right to you. You can find all of those things by visiting shulmanart.com forward slash 36. And finally, to wrap this all up, I just want to remind you to subscribe to my podcast because we have some really amazing special guest episodes. Austin Cleon, author of Steal Like an Artist, has a new book coming out, so he's coming on the show. Lisa Congdon will be coming on the show and Danny Gregory of Sketchbook School. They're all coming. I don't want you to miss any of them. All right, guys, thank you so much for being with me here today. I will see you same time, same place next week. Make it a great one. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com. Once again, this episode was sponsored by The Six Figure Artist. If you're interested in hearing how you can earn more for your passion with concrete marketing and business strategies that work, 
head on over to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z. 